A warm welcome to First Move this Tuesday. Great to be with you as always and plenty coming up in the next hour, including wisdom for meditation expert Dr. Deepak Chopra, a force behind the Never Alone initiative tackling the stigma of mental health, whether through the isolation of COVID, economic challenges or something else, how to spot the signs of trouble in loved ones and guidance on reaching out when you yourself need help too. That's coming up later in the show. Plus, the CEO of travel site Travago on the post-lockdown revenge travel rush. High demand triggering higher prices, sadly, but good deals still to be had without busting the bank. We'll be talking through that. Speaking of round trips, in the meantime, U.S. stocks all over the map over the past 24 hours. They come from behind wind, though, on Monday, despite weaker than expected reads on U.S. housing and regional manufacturing. A soft start, as you can see, on tap today. Europe, however, managing to hold in the green. We are kicking off a busy few days here in the United States, specifically filled with retail revelations. Is the consumer in good humor or will a higher price put purchases on ice? Walmart, the largest U.S. retailer, out with second quarter results, beating lowered expectations and seeing profit improvement ahead. Home improvement giant, meanwhile, Home Depot are posting record profits and sales in the previous quarter too. August sales events, in fact, popping up all over the place. S stands for streaming showdown. Walmart not only announcing earnings, but partnering with Paramount Plus in a new content deal targeting Amazon. A is for Apple Amore. Warren Buffett buying almost 4 million new shares in the second quarter. The Oracle of Omaha energized by energy, it seems, too, buying more Chevron and Occidental stock as well. L is for a Loeb lift. Disney shares rallying as Dan Loeb's third point takes a, quote, significant stake in the entertainment giant. But Dan is demanding changes as usual. An E is for an Elliott exit. The FT is reporting that the activist investor Elliott Management is selling all of its soft bank holdings after losing confidence in Masayoshi Son's leadership. More on all of that later in the show. For now, let's get to our top story. New explosions in Russian-controlled Crimea. Today's target, an ammunition depot. This comes just a week after explosions destroyed several warplanes in the same region. Moscow is blaming sabotage. David McKenzie joins us now. Two attacks, David, in the space of a week. I believe Ukraine once again not retaking responsibility for, for this incident either. Sabotage? on the part of Russia accordingly. Tell us, tell us what more we know. Well, we know is that there were these very dramatic explosions in the northern part of uh, Russian-occupied Crimea that was caught by passing uh, commuters from a bus uh, and other vantage points, showing uh, this peppering explosion across the horizon of what appears to be, again, some kind of ammunition supply uh, depot of the Russian military. It also, according to uh, authorities there, damaged significant infrastructure. And, well, who's responsible? That is the big question. As you say, the Russians saying it's sabotage. The Ukrainians are keeping very quiet about it, being coy about it. But it is a significant moment again. We have seen these strikes now occurring in Crimea, uh, which has a significant uh, psychological impact, I think, on this conflict. Whether it has a major impact on the battlefield remains to be seen, but it is indicating that uh, perhaps Ukraine is able to strike through sabotage, teams on the ground, or airstrikes, uh, these kind of targets. 
Yeah, coincidence or otherwise that the Russian defence minister was saying that the US supplied HIMARS, high mobility artillery rocket systems, are not having a significant impact. Um, take that what you will. Let's also talk about the concerns about the nuclear power plant at Zaporizhia. President Zelensky calling it nuclear blackmail. That's right. And uh, he's been saying this for several days now, uh, striking the warning that this uh, nuclear power plant faces uh, a potential catastrophe that could be an issue not just for Ukraine, of course, but for the wider region, as multiple officials have told us depending which, the wind, which way the wind blows, which is, of course, a very alarming detail. Uh, at this stage, the big question is whether the IAEA, the Atomic Energy Agency, can get inside with those inspectors. The UN Secretary General's office uh, says they um, have, well, they've rubbished claims that Russia says they have uh, stopped uh, those inspectors going in. They said they have the security and the logistics to help teams to get in there. Uh, but there's no sign of movement on that or any movement of demilitarizing that zone. There have been multiple strikes on that site and around that site in the industrial town next to it um, uh, in the last few days. Uh, so that until they have some kind of negotiated way to get those inspectors in, I think this is a, a very big worry indeed. Julia? Mm. David McKenzie reporting there. Thank you for that. Okay, let's move on. Iran is closer than ever to reviving the 2015 nuclear deal. That's according to Tehran's negotiating team advisor. He said Tehran had expressed its concerns, quote, about a European Union proposal, but the remaining issues are not very difficult to resolve. Fred Plaikin joins us now. Three main factors, we believe, on this, Fred. Among them, I believe, sanctions relief for the energy sector, which would help the world if Iran's oil came back on the market. Iran's oil and also Iran's gas. I was at Iran's mm. gas facilities a couple of years ago, and they certainly have a lot of gas in the Persian Gulf, a huge field uh, that they share with the Qataris. But yes, there are still three main sticking points. This is something um, that that advisor to Iran's negotiating team told us as well. Uh, one of them is, of course, that probe by the International Atomic Energy Agency, where Iran in the past has been reprimanded by the board of directors of the IAEA for alleged uh, activity at undisclosed locations. That's something the Iranians say is unfair, and they they want that to go away. However, you're absolutely right to say that it seems as though right now, as far as the language of that text is concerned, um, the two main things the Iranians are focusing on is the fact that they want real sanctions relief, they say, and they want to make sure that the U.S. doesn't interfere with that real sanctions relief by, for instance, putting pressure on companies that want to do business with Iran or countries that want to do business in Iran. They say they want guarantees that they are going to get real sanctions relief. And of course, the energy sector would most probably be the first place uh, where they would have real massive benefits because the world needs energy at the moment. The other thing is guarantees. The Iranians want guarantees that the U.S. is not going to go out of the agreement quickly. Now, they say, this comes from that same um, uh, advisor, they say they understand they can't stop the U.S. from exiting the Iran nuclear deal again. However, they say that they would want compensation if that were to be the case. In the words of that negotiator, they say that they want to make sure that there would be a price if the United States exited the deal again. Now, uh, the Iranians are saying that a lot of those things are already reflected in the text that was put forward by the EU negotiator. They say that their suggestions uh, only would, would only minorly 
impact that text. They say they believe this is something the U.S. could agree to. But, of course, Julia, you know, we've been reporting on this for such a long time. We know how complicated it is. We know the sides all don't trust each other. Nevertheless, there does seem to be a good degree of optimism in Tehran and among the other countries that are still members of the JCPOA. Of course, the U.S. is the country that wants to get back into the agreement, Julia. Yes, going to come down to trust. Fred Plaikin, thank you so much for that. Power cuts, meanwhile, in China. Factories in the Sichuan province ordered to shut down for days because of an electricity shortage. Right now, China is enduring its worst heat wave in 60 years. Selena Wang joins us on this. So the officials are rationing industry energy use in order to protect residential households and individual consumers, which makes sense. But this is a key manufacturing hub for some of the manufacturing facilities for companies like Apple and Intel, so that the knock-on effect could be significant. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just a knock-on effect on the economy here in China, but also could potentially have knock-on effects on the global economy. Sichuan now is in southwest China. It is one of China's largest provinces with 84 million people. It's ordered all factories to shut down production for six days to ease that power shortage. Now, to your point, this is a key and important province because it's rich in minerals like lithium and polysilicon. It's a key manufacturing location for the semiconductor industry and also for the solar panel industry. So this power rationing would hit these major factories from giant companies like Apple, Foxconn, and Intel. You've also got China's battery giant that supplies to Tesla that also has a factory in that region. So shutting down these factories for the week, it's got the impact, of course, on the factories and their manufacturing capacity, but overall could also tighten the supply of polysilicon and lithium, which could potentially push prices higher. Now, officials there said, to your point, that this decision was made to make sure that people's homes, that residential use is enough. This is as China is dealing with its worst heat wave in six decades, with temperatures above 104 degrees Fahrenheit in dozens of cities. And that heat means that there's an increase in demand for air conditioning, which puts pressure on the power grid. Making things worse in China, though, is that the drought has also depleted river water levels, which has reduced the amount of electricity produced at hydropower plants. And this extreme weather, which we've talked about before, Julia, has also added inflationary pressures in China. The extreme heat in the south has killed crops, while meantime in the north, you've got heavy rain and flooding that's also led to major crop failures. In fact, an official in China said that the extreme weather has pushed up the price of fresh vegetables by nearly 13 percent year on year, which is significantly higher than the same period last year, Julia. Yeah, it was exactly what I was going to ask you about the impact on crops, even in the short term. I mean, China's one of the world leaders in genetically modified crops to try and mitigate the effect of of higher temperatures and drought conditions. But in the short term, um, it just adds to the ongoing challenges. Selena Wang, great to have you with us on that. Thank you. Okay, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories making headlines around the world. Kenya's opposition leader is calling the outcome of the presidential election a travesty. He says he rejects the results announced on Monday without reservation, accusing the Electoral Commission of disregarding the law. Raila Odinga addressed his supporters a short time ago. Today, I do not want to fully address our strategies going forward, but suffice it to note that we will be pursuing all constitutional and legal options available to us. We will do so because we regard the many flaws in the elections and the wrongs committed by the IBC as fatal to the process 
and the outcome announced by Mr. Chibukati. We urge Kenyans and the friends and partners of Kenya abroad to stand tall and be counted as we seek to advance the ideals of democracy and an open society that we have always stood for. Today's Larry Maduro joins us now from Kisumu, Kenya. Larry, we were discussing yesterday and the result was perhaps even more tight than we were expecting. We heard from Adinga's running mate, who would have been the first deputy president that the country had ever had as well, tweeting, it's not over till it's over. So now there's wild speculation about a legal challenge. Is that what we have to expect? Almost certainly, yes, Julia. Even though Aurelio Odinga says he doesn't want to lay bare the strategy, he just did, right? He says they're going to pursue every legal and constitutional avenue to challenge that result because he says that the chair of Kenya's Electoral and Boundaries Commission committed an illegality that whatever he announced is null and void and that according to Raila Dinga's coalition there is neither a legally declared president-elect nor a win of the presidential election because they, he did not follow the law according to them. So I think over the next six days that's all they have left. They will most certainly go to court to challenge that and it's going to be sort of a deja vu for many Kenyans. We've seen this happen. Raila Dinga challenged the outcome of the 2013 election. He lost that one in court. He challenged the outcome of the 2017 election. He won that one, and the election was thrown out. But the deputy president, William Ruto, who is now president-elect according to the law, had also something to say about how he would govern the country. And in this election, there are no losers. The people of Kenya have won because we have raised the political bar. I want to say that the people of Kenya, led by the 14 million who turned up to vote, are the biggest winners. William Ruto won the presidency of Kenya in his first attempt. Raila Odinga has been trying to become president of Kenya five times now. It's been a stunning turnaround for William Ruto, who, after the 2007 disputed election, was accused of crimes against humanity and tried at the International Criminal Court. He's been able to put that behind him. The case has collapsed. To this, he calls himself the hustler-in-chief. He says that if elected, he would make this country the country of everyone. And he seems that that message really, Julia, got through. He was promoting what he called a bottom-up economic approach to give everybody in this country a fair chance at life and it seems to have really gotten across to the vast majority of people in this country. So what Raila Odinga and his team have to do is clear this impossibly high bar to convince the Supreme Court of Kenya that whatever illegalities they're claiming in this election rose to the level that it invalidates the entire election and the win of William Ruto. It's going to be very difficult to do so in court, Julia. Yeah, a huge challenge. It was interesting to hear the president-elect there, the legal president-elect, saying um, the people have won. And it does come down to the people and what they want. And what this vote showed, irrespective of the, the vote count, is that the country is incredibly divided on who the right person is to lead the country going forward. You're in Kisumu, which is an Odinga stronghold, and the people there behind you, I remember, were, were so enthusiastic and waiting for the, the result to come through. What are they saying to you today? There's so much disappointment, so much heartbreak here in Kisumu. This is a region that has traditionally voted overwhelmingly for Raila Odinga, and they did again in this election. And so many people have been telling us Baba the Fifth, they call him the father, Baba, and they just can't imagine that he's lost this thing for the fifth time. So they're pinning their hopes on this legal challenge, 
when it happens. Because when we were here yesterday, hours before the announcement, there were celebrations on the streets. People just singing his name and carrying his posters and hoping that the Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission would declare Raila Odinga the winner. And when it was William Ruto, that quickly turned into disappointment and heartbreak and some protest and they barricaded roads and lit some bonfires. Just the disappointment was so high in the air. So they still hope that there's one final way for Raila Odinga to make his way to the presidency. Yeah, it's going to be a tense uh, future week. We'll keep on top of it. Larry, great to have you with us. Thank you. Larry Madowa there in Kisumu, Kenya. Brazil's president candidates are launching their election campaigns today with rallies across the country. Their frontrunners, President Jair Bolsonaro and former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, are holding rival events in the southeast. The latest polls say Lula currently has a 12 percent lead over Bolsonaro. And U.S. Congresswoman Liz Cheney will face a tough primary election today against a fellow Republican endorsed by Donald Trump. Cheney, the representative for the state of Wyoming, has lost much of her party support for opposing Trump and his election lies. But Democrats and some moderate Republicans have defended her and could give her a chance of victory in today's vote. And straight ahead, inflation isn't stopping travellers from booking getaways, but it is making them more choosy. We speak with the CEO of travel site Travago up next. And from WeWork to New Flow, Adam Newman looks like he's staging a billion-dollar return, this time in real estate. It's touted as the answer to the housing crisis. More when we come back. Welcome back to First Move. Summer may be winding down, but travel prices are unfortunately still heating up. The signs are travellers are still willing to spend to get away while being savvy, though, with their savings. Enter Trivago, the hotel search and price comparison website that's benefiting from cash-conscious consumers looking for the best deals. The firm says while inflation hurts vacationers' wallets, it's not making them abandon their plans entirely. A Trivago survey said 83% of travellers think 2022 will be their best summer yet, while 64% say they're willing to spend more. Chivago CEO says while inflation remains high, travellers are likely to spend more time looking for the best prices. This after Chivago reported second quarter revenue up 52% from a year earlier. Axel Heaver is the CEO of Trafago, and he joins us now. Axel, great to have you on the show. Um, I looked through your forecasts and your earnings overall, and I saw good news and bad news. The good news is there's a buoyant response to the ending of COVID restrictions. The problem is, and we've alluded to it, prices are going higher and will continue to do so in your mind. Walk us through what you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's as you said, it's a very interesting point in time, and we are coming out of a pandemic, and a lot of trips have been pushed back and they are now happening. Yeah? So um, to see friends, family, with the kids, etc. And people have also saved a lot of money by not going out as much, by not traveling. So the demand is extremely strong this summer. On the other hand, um, pretty much all the travel companies have reduced their staffing levels during the pandemic because the demand dropped to zero. And pretty much everybody is now struggling to staff up. So we have this, this imbalance um, overall in the travel industry that somehow need to go back to balance. And and that's why prices are increasing. Salaries will have to go up um, in the industry. And that will lead to the overall demand uh, coming down. How long does that go on for? Because that's two things you described. The, the fact that the labor challenges persist even when the summer months perhaps wind down and people 
travel a little bit less. At the same time, you've got people that are desperate post-COVID to get out there and travel. But at some point, the higher prices bite. How long do you think that the two things last? I mean, it's difficult to say. I mean, these adjustment mm. processes take some time. Uh, will it take one year or will it take two years? But the good news is that the travelers have actually quite a few options. They can decide where they want to go and how they would want to go there, which allows them to save money if you go for cheaper means of transportation or closer destinations. And they can compare more prices. And, and that's, that's what you said in the, um, in the opening. That's where, why we are very optimistic, actually. Um, the more actually you want to compare prices, the more you're, you know, the more time you're spending on, on saving money, the, the greater the benefit is by um, a website that is helping you to navigate through that process. Yeah, it's great for your business. One, because, as you said, it's not just about coming to you to look for alternative options, but it's also actually the eyeballs are there for longer. So in terms of the message to advertisers, it's like, hey, guys, they're going to hang around longer in addition to everything else. What's your sense of what people are doing in terms of what they're booking, though? Are they looking for cheaper price points? Are they perhaps reducing the amount of time that they're going on holiday for? Looking for those bargains in effect. Yeah, I mean, the, the, so far, to be honest, uh, we don't see really that much because the mm. the summer is really what everybody was looking forward to. So the decision um, for, on on the trip has been taken quite a while back, and and the inflation um, issues that that we've seen, I mean, have obviously accelerated. Plus, obviously, the the, the labor shortage is now experienced mm. while traveling. So we we think that the the main lever is actually the destination, to go to cheaper destinations. And that's also what we've seen in 2020 and 21, that people are quite willing to go to another destination, but they really need their break in summer in particular. Axel, is price gouging taking place? We had many representatives of the hotel industry all over the world on this show over the last two years saying they don't know how people are going to survive, particularly the smaller independent boutique hotels relative to some of the bigger chains that perhaps could provide some degree of offset and resilience. Do you think they're now getting their own back on what's been a desperate couple of years and actually perhaps charging more than than they need to, to to recover some of that? I mean, it's difficult to say. It's really very much different um, by the company um, and, and also by the market. I think what, what is happening for sure is that um, this, this imbalance of supply and demand is, is for sure beneficial um, to the profitability of the accommodation operators right now. But let's be honest, they will have to increase their, um, their salaries to staff up their hotels again and to improve the service um, that in a lot of um, areas, in a lot of situations has actually suffered. I think one of the other things and the questions about your business is whether or not you follow Google's lead and add free links to hotels and to travel agencies to supplement the the paid links. What's the logic of of that decision? Obviously, you want to provide greater choice to your consumers and and keep them on the website. But obviously, the the offset perhaps is that you upset um, those that pay. Yeah, I mean, the the, the logic of offering direct links, as Google is doing, um, I mean, from from our perspective, would be um, if we would decide to do so, would be that there is a significant um, segment in in the market. A lot of people want to actually book direct, and that could be for wow. various reasons. That could be because you're traveling with many children, so you need connecting rooms, which the OTAs don't don't really offer to you. It could be because you have special needs, uh, you have certain disabilities, etc. And to serve those travelers better, um, there is a benefit in increasing the coverage of direct booking options. 
Are you going to make that decision sometime soon? I don't know. Once we take it, you will be the first to know. <laughs> oh, now you promise. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time. And I thank you for that exclusive, not only the breaking news, but the exclusive. <laughs> like I'm doing my own terms here. Axel, great to chat to you. Thank you. We'll speak again soon. The CEO of Travago there. Thank you. Okay, coming up. Profits have always been paramount to Walmart. Streaming now paramount, apparently, too. A brand new deal could deliver an earnings plus. We'll explain next. There, ringing the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange. Welcome back to First Move. US stocks are up and running for the second time this week, and it is unfortunately a lower start to the trading day with downbeat housing numbers, I think, weighing on sentiment. Housing starts falling by almost 10% last month to their lowest levels in over a year. This after a weaker read on home builder sentiment in the previous session, too. Clearly, a slowing going on in the housing market. Economists now warning that the U.S. has entered a housing recession due to the effect of higher interest rates, in particular for the cost of mortgages. And pedal problems for the indoor exercise industry, too. Peloton slashing hundreds of jobs and hiking prices. Customers might soon have to assemble bikes themselves to help the firm cut costs. And some soul-searching news from SoulCycle, too. The indoor cycling studio closing some 25% of its locations and laying off staff as well. Retail clearly affected by changing post-lockdown habits. Home Depot shares lower even after reporting record sales and profits. Investors perhaps warned in terms of how housing weakness will affect future growth. Shares in the meantime of Walmart rallying after beating lowered sales and profit targets. It says consumers are still trading down, but it's been seeing sales improvement over the past few weeks. Christine Romans joins us now. Christine, that's interesting in terms of the, the switch over the last few weeks. But I tell you what, what leapt out to me, the change in terms of away from higher margin goods to lower yep. price products, more use of credit rather than debit cards. So putting it on credit and then just moving away from uh, non-processed meats to canned goods. These are all obvious signs. These are paycheck to paycheck customers mm. who are changing their behavior uh, because their costs are going up. And even the private brand growth rate was amazing. That was that had doubled from the first quarter to the second quarter. So people are still shopping. In fact, uh, according to Walmart CEO, they are going to Walmart because Walmart o- offers value. They're going to Walmart because Walmart had a whole bunch of sales. Remember, they 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 chopped prices on a lot of things that, that they had too much inventory of. And that attracted people and people spent their money there. Sales up 9% overall. And in terms of that behavior change, the company noting that people moving from deli uh, meats and beef, which cost more, to hot dogs, a canned tuna, you know, prepackaged tuna um, and, and chicken bits. So it's a, a different kind of behavior from consumers. They're still spending their money. They're spending it on a different mix of goods, Julia. Yeah, one of the other things I think that stood out to me, the sheer chunk of the market share gain that they're seeing in food with people with incomes over $100,000 or more. So they're also seeing people looking for better value options, even at higher income levels, which is an interesting sign too. Um, Not only that, but they're trying to 
move into other an alternative and diversified products too. So to get people to sign on to their discount shipping service, they're now offering Paramount Global Streaming. It's hello, Amazon Prime, we're coming to get you. I know. I've seen this model before, and it certainly mm-hmm. worked for Amazon. And so, look, they note that their membership, this membership model, has grown every every month since it was started in, in 2020. And the Wall Street Journal and others have reported uh, that the company had been talking to a lot of different folks about how it could put an offering on here. And Paramount Plus is the offering. So this will be offered, uh, you know, for the $98 a year you pay for the for the for the membership. This would be the add on. Uh, I, it's it's interesting because it's um, it's an added bonus to get people in there to do that ninety eight dollars a year. Uh, Amazon, uh, look, I even said Amazon <laughs> Walmart membership, and it looks just like that Amazon model, doesn't it? Walmart are thanking you at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the comparison's clear. Uh, yes, Christine, great to chat to you as always. Nice Thank you for that. Okay, after the break, joining forces to promote healing and calm troubled minds. We're facing mental health head on. Deepak Chopra and the actress and activist Gabriella Wright up next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. Conversations about mental health can often be difficult, and it's no exaggeration to say the pandemic has affected all of us in different ways. Some are outwardly obvious, others less so. But the statistics speak for themselves. According to the World Health Organization, one person takes their own life every 40 seconds. It's also a leading cause of death among teens. Now, unlike physical health, mental health issues often go untreated, even ignored. Maybe it comes down to embarrassment, feeling alone, a lack of understanding of what we see in others, or just a lack of information about simply how to find help. Well, that's where the Never Alone initiative comes in. Led by renowned meditation expert Dr. Deepak Chopra, the aim is to eliminate the stigma around discussing mental health issues once and for all. From providing research into mental health therapies, meditation videos, right through to offering educational resources to schools. They've also launched an app and on the neveralone.love website, there's already an AI chatbot called Peewee, we'll explain, available 24-7 via messenger or text. And behind this campaign is a powerful partnership. The actress and activist Gabriella Wright met Dr. Chopra while working on a film called We Are Never Alone, one which tackles the topic of suicide head on. And together, they are two of the forces behind the Never Alone initiative. And they both join me now. Welcome, Gabriella. Welcome, Deepak. It's definitely two forces of nature on my show this morning. And thank you for joining us. Um, Gabriella, I want to begin with you because this is a personal mission for you because you lost a beautiful sister to suicide. And this is about, I think, channeling the emotion of that loss into something powerful and something positive to help as many other people as you can. Let's begin there. Thank you so much, Julia. I actually want to start with Never Alone is a love story. And and it starts with a very personal love story. Um, My sister, uh, singer-songwriter, died by suicide four years ago now. And and I suppose it's that love because her absence has created so much presence with the fact that we need to feel her. We need to experience the healing through her absence. And 
we need to do something about it. And, and, and the truth is, when she died by suicide, I realized that we're not alone that we're not alone. There are millions of people who are experiencing this grief. And the grief was so gigantic that it just was swallowing us slowly. And when I say us, it was not only myself. I'm the elder sister. I have a middle sister. She was the she was the the the, the baby sister. And then there's my parents, there's my son. And all of a sudden it felt like the Titanic. There was nothing that we could do. There was that we felt hopeless. We felt helpless. And 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 there was just this this string, this string of, of love that was our only hope to to almost just survive the grief. And that's when I realized, you know what, we have to do something about this because we're not alone. We're not the only ones who are experiencing this suffering. Uh, and we have to start by raising awareness. And that's how Never Alone started. It, it, it just became this, this inner cry, this love story, this, this tangible experience of how can I translate this loss loss into a loving presence so that we can shine light on on this stigma because there is a huge stigma julia as you yeah. just so said culturally yes. religiously you know identity country-wise we look at mental health very differently uh, deepak i think that's the in many ways the perfect way to describe it not just the devastating loss of losing someone the emotional suffering that they went through and what led them to choose suicide and saw that as the only path out. Um, but also this idea that there's people around them that also perhaps may be able to be advised on what to look for, how to help. Deepak, the importance of this initiative and also I think the importance of what you saw in Gabriella as someone that can be such a beacon of light to, to, to help people, whether it's watching someone suffer or, or someone that, that needs help and just needs to reach out. So... Um, as you said, Julia, right now it's a pandemic and it's a much bigger pandemic, um, depression, anxiety, stress, and even suicidal ideation combined are a bigger pandemic than all other pandemics combined. So we're not, our humanity is incomplete unless we address this. The wisdom traditions of the world tell us that if you have empathy, which means you feel what another person feels, compassion, which means you have the desire to alleviate suffering, it automatically leads to what we call love in action. And this partnership with uh, Gabriella is about love in action because love without action is really irrelevant and action without love is meaningless. But when you have love and action combined, then uh, you can achieve extraordinary things because the whole world supports you. And Gabriella brings to this a very strong emotional story, uh, which actually, instead of fighting the darkness, brings in the light. And then we also bring science to it. You know, when when you have these ingredients that we talk about, attention, deep listening, affection, deep caring, appreciation, deep gratitude, in a sense, for the uniqueness of every human being, and acceptance of all of us, including our own shadows and our own demons, then there is a biological response to that. Your neural networks wire, there's rewire. There's something called limbic resonance, your emotional brain starts to rewire itself. 
limbic resonance leads to limbic uh, regulation, which means your brain starts, your emotional brain starts to self-regulate itself and ultimately leads to limbic revision, which means your brain actually changes its neural networks. So with Gabriella bringing the story element and the conversation elements, and then our access to science and the world community, we think we can use what we're doing, including artificial intelligence and deep learning and uh, creating online and offline communities of compassion and joy, we can hopefully aspire to a critical mass for a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier and joyful world. So thanks for giving us the opportunity to tell the world about it. It's funny, um, Deepak, when I asked Gabriella where she found the strength from having described what happened to her family as, as being like the Titanic and the, and the devastation that took place after the loss of, of Paulette. She said, um, you have to ask Deepak that, love in action and, and the four A's. And, and you just described that, I think, that part of reconnecting, I think, emotionally and, and working out how you move forward and how you turn something so sad into something so positive. Um, I want to talk about the technology because I do think this is really interesting. And this AI bot and, and Peewee, Gabriella, you can describe because I know yes. that was the, the nickname for your for your sister. Yes. Um, but this idea, okay. perhaps, that for, for for young people, and some part of it breaks my heart, but some part of me also recognises the power of it. They'd rather speak to an AI robot because they don't feel judged in some way. But that the power to magnify those that you touch using technology at this moment in time is huge, and, and that's the point here. We want to touch as many lives as possible, help as many people as possible. Absolutely. And and Peewee so far. So Peewee is the nickname of my little sister. And and I speak about her in the in the present tense because the, the presence never dies. You know, just presence doesn't die. And presence when you're fully in the awareness of it is love. And that is the language that, and that's the energy that is behind what we're doing. It's this currency of love in action as Deepak described. So Peewee is also an acronym for people interacting with intention. And so we were able to couple her nickname with actually what we do. And this AI emotional chatbot during the, the height of the pandemic, 16 million messages were exchanged on our platform, 6 million um, minutes of conversation were recorded and helped people and 6,000 um, suicide ideations were de-escalated. So we have much more data as well. And that was the first rendition of Peewee. We're now reactivating her with a more well-being, mental well-being appropriation for to, to, to accompany you on your journey for every day. And so that's obviously consciousness-based, thanks to Dr. Deepak Chopra and, and all of the work that we do through consciousness studies, bringing that into to the tip of your fingers so that you never experienced loneliness so that you know that you can go somewhere and it's exactly what you were saying Julia young people prefer to talk to technology they don't yeah. they don't want to they they do not feel judged they feel safer and this is the world that we're in to get today whether we like it or not technology is part of our humanity and we need to embrace it and flood it with consciousness and consciousness tools self-awareness tools and these tools can then really help families in distress because everyone like in my family 
there's blind spots. Sometimes it's easier to help a stranger than to help some of your family members. And we have to be vulnerable enough to realize that we don't know everything, but we will know together. Yeah, it's funny, in a world where we're more connected than ever at times, the degree of loneliness is, is that much greater. But if we can harness technology for good to connect people the right way and for the right reasons, it can be so powerful. Um, Deepak, very quickly, I know you've uh, employed all sorts of ways to, to help raise money as well, um, including a foray into crypto. I'm not going to ask you your uh, views on cryptocurrencies, don't worry. But um, what more do you need? How can people help? What's what's the game plan going forward to, to get as many people aware of this and conscious of this as we can? I think the more people participate, the more people there are for each other in those four A's, acceptance, appreciation, deep gratitude, uh, purpose, meaning, all coming together. We have a new story for humanity. To be human is to have a story. We need to upgrade our story right now, collectively, because everything that we're talking about today in the world, you know, social injustice, economic injustice, fractured relationships, war, terrorism, um, economic disruptions, the destruction of the ecosystem, worldwide pandemics, they're all related to one simple fact, we haven't discovered who we are. If we knew who we are at the most fundamental level, then we are so inseparably interconnected that our joy depends on each other, our health depends on each other, our happiness depends on each other, and it's time to rewire even globally the neural networks of the collective mind, and that's happening right now through social media, it's happening yeah. through this conversation yeah. and we'll have new We're working, new We're working on it. <laughs> yeah. Gabriella, I have a minute left. I, I watched videos of your sister singing this morning. Mm. She has, to use your present term, the most angelic voice, beautiful, yeah. her smile, megawatt. What do you want people <laughs> to know about how she would feel now about this conversation, perhaps, but also what someone so beautiful, so talented, but also suffering so deeply and quietly, what the message is. The message that she would want us to realize is that if we're more kinder, we would be able to hear each other's inner smile. And if we're able to hear that, then there's no need to judge anyone. There's no need to be angry. There's no need to gossip. It's just the currency of kindness. Yes. And I think, you know, kindness heals the world. Kindness heals the world. A beautiful legacy. Gabriella, thank you. Gabriella Wright. Yeah. Deepak Chopra there, both of you. Thank you so much and come back soon. We'll track your progress. Thank you for what you're doing. And a reminder of that website, it's neveralone.love. And there are also mental health resources on cnn.com and next month in the United States, it's National Suicide Prevention Week too. More first move after this. 
Just into CNN, U.S. First Lady Jill Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. Her office says she's experiencing mild symptoms. Her positive test comes two weeks after her husband had COVID. The Bidens currently on their summer holiday at the beach in South Carolina. We wish her well. And Newman, new firm, Newman, nearly three years after he stepped down as the CEO of WeWork. Remember that? Adam Newman said to be in charge of a billion dollar startup. Paula Monica has all the details. When is a capitalist kibbutz not a capitalist kibbutz? When we are living life in flow. Paul, <laughs> tell us more. What do we make of this? I'm not even. I'm not even sure. You're not even going there. Go. No, I know. Yeah, let, let's just put it this way. Uh, mm-hmm. Adam Newman is back. He has a company called Flow. We don't really know much about it. It is hoping. It sounds like to try and revolutionize the housing market, taking you know advantage, if you will, of the fact that there could be an opportunity in a world where there are a lot of people who are working remotely and maybe aren't going into the office, they need now housing as a social outlet that the office used to be. So kind of take the WeWork model and transmogrify it into something for housing called Flow. We need more details and we have to have a healthy dose of skepticism. As we know, even if you didn't watch all the fictionalized accounts of uh, Adam Newman and his fall from grace, WeWork lost a lot of money. It finally went public without him through a SPAC at a fraction of its once lofty $47 billion unicorn valuation. But what's disturbing here is that Andreessen Horowitz, one of the VC firms that invested in WeWork, is now investing in Flow again. And it sounds like, I hate to say it, they're drinking the proverbial Kool-Aid and hoping that Newman can you know, maybe strike, you know, have lightning strike twice, but maybe not have the negative effects of what happened the first time with WeWork. I'm scratching my head why a reputable VC firm is backing him again. Investors have to be cautious if this thing ever goes public. Biggest investment they've ever made, apparently. You could speak to a Masayoshi-san over at SoftBank about how that Kool-Aid tasted. Um, yeah, SoftBank has rented in New York City, probably, though. Yeah. I, something that could standardize the quality of rentals in New York City could be really powerful and other cities around America. Let's be clear. So I, if it's possible and you can make money, key, doing it um, and also make it better for, for individuals, then great. Um, to your point, we remain skeptical. Yeah, the we end. need to see more details. It's a great yeah. idea on paper, but we are not we going the with the flow. I've got to to shut up. <laughs> Live life in the flow. Not yet. Paula Monica. Goodbye, Newman. Like, yeah, I know. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. That's it for the show. Connect the world. Becky Anderson is up next. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.